0: Oh, oh, This is my podcast that i've been hosting since 2013 i talk to fascinating people we have long-form conversations if you're new that's the rundown if you are a long-time listener thank you so much for listening it means the world to me this is my favorite thing i've ever done because it allows me to meet such great people through the people who listen to the podcast and the guests like today's guest lisa she is a delight she is a therapist and one of the coolest people i've met in a while we met at the wing because her daughter is actually the founder of the wing audrey Gelman, and it was very very cool because she was hosting this event on anxiety and i had signed up for it there's events happening all the time at the wing But I thought I wasn't going to be able to go that night because, ironically, I was feeling anxious and overwhelmed, which we get into in this episode. But I went anyway, and I'm so glad I did because I met Lisa, and we, and then I asked her on the podcast, and we talked about why therapy is important, of course, her story, and how she got into the work that she's doing now. She's written two books. She started Soho Parenting and has helped countless parents and mothers and she talks about navigating transitions mother circles how to find a therapist that's right for you how to get the most out of therapy one of the many gems that she says in this episode is she says therapy is like getting a master's degree in yourself and this episode is full of quotes like that gems of wisdom from lisa she's really brilliant and I can't wait for you to hear this episode I want to get to it as quickly as possible a couple of announcements if you're in New York City I'm doing two workshops coming up one on June 23rd at Maha Rose in Greenpoint I would love to see you guys there I'm really excited about this one and then in July at the end of July I'm doing one at the Alchemist Kitchen in the East Village and I would love to see you there as well I'm also hosting the Good Fest in August. I think they might be sold out of tickets already, but if they're not, you should come. You can get $15 off using the code katydalebout15. And that's really all of the main announcements I have. One is about our sponsor, Branch Basics. You guys know them. You love them. And they're actually doing a giveaway this week. They're doing a giveaway for their starter kit and their Oxygen Boost, which is valued at $69, and you can get all the info at that at katydelblatt.com slash giveaway, and the link to that's in the show notes. This episode, obviously, is brought to you in part by them, Branch Basics. They're a new cleaning product line that I discovered and love. It's totally seamless cleaning. And what's great about them is that everything is one concentrate and you can use it from laundry to bathroom cleaning to countertop cleaning. And the best part is that it's natural and toxin and fragrance free. And I absolutely love it. It doesn't have any of the harmful chemicals and fragrances that we want to avoid. And it makes switching to natural cleaners so simple because you literally have one concentrate that replaces all of your cleaning needs. I started using this and you actually save money because it's just one thing you can use for everything. I really love them. You can hopefully test them out if you win the giveaway. And if you want to try them, definitely use the code let it out at checkout for $15 off that's let it out for $15 off I really love them they really help getting rid of messy stains and you know big messes even though they're natural and don't have harmful chemicals they actually really work I love branch basics thank you so much for supporting this podcast thank you for listening and enjoy my episode with Lisa I'll talk to you at the end I have lots of announcements your background and anxiety and a lot of different topics that I wrote down and I said that you were coming on the podcast and so I had all of these notes from all of these questions from people who listen that they had for you too so I want to get to those Um, but I've really been liking starting in the present So, before we get into your background, what have you been contemplating or realizing or learning in the last day or week or month, what's
1: been kind of on your mind? Hmm. Well, the last day has been Eric Schneider and and the Me Too movement, Yeah, Um, which actually has been a big part of the last couple of months. Yeah, and just the last year plus yeah. you know, um, so I, I don't want to start on the negative, but there is a lot of stuff that's yeah. very negative out in the world. Yeah. And so, you know, this idea of like like how to sort through all of this really dark information and stay hopeful is one of the things that I've really been thinking about. Yeah. You know, and how to take care of myself because it's there's so much kind of overwhelming um, there's just a lot of darkness yeah um you know so just how to be safe and how to appreciate the men in the world that are sweet and gentle and how not to you know how not to generalize but but also just to feel um but to not you know do not close my eyes to what's really going on so yeah. i'm staying present and aware so yeah. that's one of the big things that's yeah
0: how have you? What if? What kind of consensus have you come to, or what are kind of things that you can dispense to people about staying, like protecting ourselves,
1: but also staying open? Um, well, I think the first thing that I really talk to people about is like choose something that's active in which you feel like you are contributing or learning or doing something to counter. Um, what's going on. So Mm -hmm. one of the things I've done in the last year is I've gotten involved in a county in North Carolina (laughs) this rural county in North Carolina called Granville County and um, I just happened to meet some people from down there and realized that um, there's no Democratic Party office in Granville County. They meet at the library and so I have I hosted a fundraiser, and I raised about $6,000 to wow. to stock this office that somebody donated, which is amazing. I mean, from this idea of, like, we need an office. Yeah. So that has really kept me, like, happy and hopeful and yeah. open. And so kind of committing to one small project yeah. I think is really helpful to kind of, like, get small and and focus on one thing at a time and and feel like, you know, we can't take on everything. It's just yeah. too big. So it's yeah. kind of like pick one thing that's meaningful yeah. to you and and actually do something. Yeah. Like get involved or be in, and and just even connecting with these other people I knew none of these people, all these like North Carolinian expats yeah. or whatever, and they're so they're so smart and energetic and excited and it's like it's really infused me with a lot of hope. Yeah. So that's one thing that I really feel is so important, like to do something. And it's, you know, I work with a lot of families and kids and it's the same thing with children. It's like when people say, you know, well, what, what to do in the face of this or that. And, I, and I'm always like, well, kids can make a card or kids can bake and bring it to, you know, like doing something that like yeah. you use your hands, you actually break it down into some small project where you feel like you're, you're giving to somebody else, I think is so healing.
0: Yeah, and that's such a metaphor, I think, for the rest of our lives and our mental wellness just in general. I know for me, I, this has been a really big topic with me lately, but feeling overwhelmed, yeah. overwhelmed. and I think that directly relates to anxiety and every, kind of everything, and just what you were saying there, that on the macro is the same for the micro of like, I have so much to do, I find this all the time, mm. And I just end up doing not much at all because <laughs> it's paralyzed. Yeah, and like that's in creativity. And yeah. then in just my life with like you know busyness, yeah. I think it can be like I have so many things I need to do. Where do I even start can feel so overwhelming. One thing that I do, I did it today was I was like, I, all I, I have this project that's going to take longer than an hour, but all I have to do, I'm forcing myself, I set a timer even that I have to work on it for half an hour, yeah. and I ended up going longer, but it just felt
1: good to give myself that hour. Yeah, parameters yeah. And, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. It's, um, it is very overwhelming. The other thing I did the other night, which was kind of rad- radical for me, was I left my fu- I went to, I went to a, you know, mm. a, a, actually a fundraiser, and I left my phone home, and that was really great. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, you know, why do I really need my phone? Yeah. I don't. Yeah, and I left, which I mean, I'm very, you know, I'm very <laughs> overly attached, you know, like everyone. Yeah, we all are. Yeah. But I left at home, and that was kind of liberating too. Yeah. Um, also, I do yoga. Yeah, yoga really helps.
0: <laughs> I want to get into all all of the things that help. And you, yeah. you, when I met you, gave us so many so many tools. But let's let's start with you and your background a bit. So, where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? What mm. did you want to be when you
1: grew up? Okay, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and I lived there until I was 17. Then my parents moved to New York City. Um, Do your brothers and sisters? And I, have brother, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. My okay, brother's so 18 you're the oldest? months, I'm the oldest. Okay. I have an 18 month oh, 18 month younger brother, and then a sister eight years younger. So oh, wow. that was really a really exciting thing because yeah. I really remember all of her, you growing know, up. pregnant, the pregnancy, and yeah. her growing up. And I think that was a very, very important experience yeah, it, in my life. It sounds like that yeah. probably yeah. informed. Yeah, Your focus. I was always interested in children. Yeah. And, um, but as a kid, I was pretty much the same as I am now, which is <laughs> um, like uh, watching everything, paying attention to everything, um, commenting on everything, like sort of a big personality, um, um, and but and also deeply, deeply sensitive and emotional. Mm. So, you know. Um, I think sometimes my kind of like um, my personality would belie my sensitivity or something, but I really had both going on. Yeah, um, was that always. appreciated and nurtured by
0: your family and your parents
1: and your? Um, you know, I have to. Say, I mean, there's a lot of complexity in my family. But what I really have to say about my family is that I would have to say my parents are like my biggest fans. Mm. So I'm really lucky in that way, and my family. Another really great thing about my family is that they've all, they've all, we've all done lots of therapy. Like, everybody works That's on so themselves. Cool. And so, as a family, over the last, you know, f- almost 60 years as yeah. a family, we've all grown up a lot. So That's really cool. Yeah. My, you know, so there was, you know, they're very big personalities, too, and my mom was 21 when she had me, and, you know, so there was just tons of stuff going on yeah. in the family, and we're raucous, and we yell, and... But we've really grown up That's a really lot. That's really cool. Which, is, which I really, you know, and I'm really lucky that my parents are alive. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I really feel like I, that is something I really have a model for, which is like as a family, you just work on yourselves. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean there's not going to be trauma and pain mm. and, you know, confusion or whatever, but there is a kind of like core feeling of like we really, we're, we all work on ourselves. That's so cool. Yeah. So yeah. in many ways I feel... Like I was very, very appreciated. Um, yeah, you know, my parents had a pretty like intense and still do kind of like very connected but kind of volatile relationship, passionate, annoying. <laughs> um, so that that was the kind of the hardest thing about about growing up in a way yeah. was that it was always kind of like you know I call them the Arlene Monroe show like they're very. Big personalities. What did they do? What... They fought and bickered. But like for work? Oh, for work. Oh, my <laughs> <And both. laughs> um, well, my dad, you know, it's interesting. My dad grew up like first generation, um, very poor, um, and worked since he was six years old. Just like, wow. shined shoes, delivered milk, like drove a car before he was supposed to, you wow. know. We're very, the... very entrepreneurial, yeah. very, very um, you know, really wanted to make money and um, kind of support his parents. So mm-hmm. he worked from the time he was very little and he really, he's sort of like your American dream kind of story, you know, he just was a businessman and worked his way up and provided us with this very nice upper middle class life, worked a ton. So he was a salesperson and a contractor and um, he's still, he's 88 and he still, he still works a little bit, so, Good you know. Him. Yeah, he's like the, he's the entrepreneur, father of the entrepreneurial part of all of us. Cool. Um, And my mom, most of the time, was a stay-at-home mom and homemaker. And then later in life, she went back to college and got an associate's degree. And she worked in the fashion industry for a while. Um, But mostly she was really a homemaker.
0: So you said that as a family, you were all into therapy and doing therapy did you was that when you were a kid and did you when did you know that you wanted yeah. to be a therapist
1: um i knew i wanted to be a therapist when i was in high school well first i loved art always loved art and made art so when my first career goal was that i was going to be an occupational therapist oh, or an wow. art therapist um because i always like to paint and use clay yeah. and so when I was in middle school, I really wanted to, that sort of, I had this idea of I was going to be a therapist and use art. Mm-hmm. But in high school, I took um, my first, like, psychology class, and, you know, that was it. In high school, I knew I was going to be a therapist. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was, and so, you know, my family, we, you know, we went to family therapy sometimes, and I just was that very, so always cool. very interested in, like, what made my parents tick and what their growing up was like, and I was always trying to figure things out and understand things, yeah. so... I, I always was going to be a therapist. Yeah. I, feel like I, I always joke with my parents and I tell them they were my first clients, yeah. but I failed miserably. So now, and now at least I get paid for it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what were those first couple of years like as a therapist and working and after you got your degree and, you know, what was, what were
1: you kind well, of thinking I, then? Well, I started out after I got my degree working out at, at working at Bellevue Hospital in New York. And I was part of um, two departments at Bellevue. One was the outpatient adolescent psychiatry program, and I ran um, a toddler group for the children of adolescent parents. Oh, cool. So that is when I started really thinking about parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, But the clients I worked with were, you know, 17- and 18-year-old mothers and then I worked in outpatient pediatrics at at, Bell, at the sort of another department at Bellevue where we did the sort of psychological part of people's regular medical healthcare. So it was people would come and bring their kids for pediatric appointments and I was in charge of the zero to three age. And I would do this sort of informal screening program where I would sit with parents and their babies and I would look for developmental delays or relationship issues. And then if I saw something, I could go back and alert their physician who they were going to be seeing. And we would sort of then work as this interdisciplinary team. So that's cool. that was really interesting because it gave me this idea about how to, how to have kind of comprehensive care yeah. for a family. Then I got pregnant with Audrey Um, and... Is she your oldest? She is my oldest. And, um, I had met, who is my business partner for 31 years, at Bellevue. Her name is Jean Coonhart. And we met at Bellevue. She ran the three to eight screening program. I ran the zero to three. And we all, we shared a case because, so that was in the 80s. There was lots of, like, AIDS and crack. Mm -hmm. And we had a family who... The children were sexually abused by an by um, a family member who had AIDS and so the kids got AIDS. It was just like the most horrible story oh. you could ever imagine. And Jean saw one of the kids in the family and I saw one of the kids in the family and we as a staff we They're just a team. were we were teens. And so Jean and I met that way. Were you guys kind of similar places in your career. And she's seven years older than I am, but we were we were in similar places. I, I always say I'm like very precocious, so we're actually the same developmentally, even though she's yeah. seven years older than I am. <laughs> she had just gotten married. I had just gotten married. We worked on this case together. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed with her, um, and then we both just totally, you know, by coincidence, got pregnant at the same time. Wow. And so, in these adolescent parenting groups, we would get our picture taken together every week, you know, as our bellies would grow. And so, we started kind of hanging out, taking the bus home. Um, She thought she was going to go back to work at Bellevue, and I was like, I'm definitely leaving. I want to be home. I want to just be with my baby. Whatever I choose to do after that, I don't know, but I'm definitely leaving Bellevue. I can't take care of a new baby. And, And... So and I really and my mom was home and Mm -hmm. I I felt very lucky to have a mom who was so available present yeah so we I left work I had Audrey she had Eliza eight weeks later and we were so you know she was on maternity leave I had quit and we were we started hatching this idea of well why don't we run these mothers groups why don't we do them for like us which then was called Guppies. Um, why don't we just run these groups for like yuppies, you know, and like alter what we learned in the adolescent parenting program and make it more relevant for us. And so we made a flyer, we called it Parent Talk. And then we like cut out pictures and like literally made copies like on a copy machine. And we strolled our babies down Broadway with masking tape and we put up signs on Broadway that said we were gonna run this eight week mother-infant group. Wow. And. um, It's like the
0: Instagram of back then.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like literally masking tape and a flyer. And we put them on the bus stops all the way up and down Broadway. And so the babies were, you know, it was like in the fall of that year, like the fall of 87. We got our first group. Wow. And we ran it in my living room. I lived, you know, 110th Street. And we had eight women. And we made lunch for them. And we had our babies in like this family daycare and we ran our first group this oh, 8 yeah. week group and it was so powerful because just it just happened that in that first group half of the women had just conceived naturally and they were their biological children and half of them had, had really difficult infertility some of them were IVF which was like very beginning of IVF yeah. or adopted wow. and so there was intense dynamics in the group yeah. and you know it was like this really profound group and we yeah. always Felt like we wanted to do half about the baby's development and half about like sort of internal maternal psychological development yeah. and we were just like That was amazing. Yeah, so out on the street flyers again um, got our second one going and At that time we reconnected with our boss at Bellevue and said like we're running these groups And this is a really we 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 think this is really like a quality thing and she hooked us up with a pediatrician who was in SOHO, which is how we ended up getting SOHO. Mm -hmm. And they were really interested in bringing a parenting component to their practice. And so Jean and I went in and met with this, they were called SOHO Pediatrics. They have just recently this year actually just closed. Oh, wow. Um, We went in and we just pitched this, like, we're going to run you a parenting center. You just give us your list of your cool. clients. And they had a community room. They were on LaGuardia Place and they had this community room. And said, you just give us your list. We, people will be calling you less. We'll take care of all their parenting needs, groups, individual. And we walked out and like la- burst out laughing like, well, that was really a huge amount of bullshit. We just, <laughs> but we, they gave us the list. Wow. And in 1988, we started what we first called parent talk and we just cold called all their clients and said you are entitled we worked it out because at that point it was before managed care and they said we'll embed your fee in their first year of pediatric care so every client was told you either get a mother-infant group or you get three individual sessions and so we just started running all these groups and we worked very part-time because we had our babies and yeah. we worked out, you know, so it started like, you know, three hours and six hours. And, you know, I mean, the most I ever worked when my kids were home was three days a week. But this, it just, it was good. Yeah, You know, it was like this is what parents needed and yes. we spoke the truth and it was helping women get together yes. and it was, it just started to grow. So then it was these mothers would have another baby. So then we ran second time mothers groups or we had ran toddler groups. And so the practice just started growing and you know, and, um, and Jean and I were both what, what, I mean, there's many things about our partnership that's wonderful, but one of them was, we always told ourselves like we have time. Like we, Mm. we were committed to spending a lot of time with our children. That's so cool. Yeah, and you know, it was at a different time, so we lived on very. We, it just was a different time, so like money just didn't matter all mm-hmm. that much, much to us. And you know, um, we worked part time. We started to hi- we started to hire people to help us because we just figured, well, maybe somebody else can run a group because we were really committed to not working. Yeah. All the time. Wow. Um, which I know probably may sound very very retro to a lot of people that are your age right now But I don't know. I feel like people Now are so focused hear. on yeah. work. They're so focused yeah. on work that They're burning out. Yeah, they're really burning out and yeah. also things are so fast paced yeah. now Like I always think like thank God. I didn't have a phone. Thank God I didn't have the internet because yeah, of course I was bored at the park, but yeah, I it's good for us. it was good you yeah. know things were slower and um So one thing Jean and I always did was like, this thing will grow, this thing is good. We knew it was high quality, and we just said we're not going to, we're just gonna stay committed to making sure we spend plenty of time with our own children. Yeah,
0: that's so important.
1: Um, So it just, so the practice grew. We wrote our first book called A Mother Circle in um, 96. Um, which was kind of following a composite group of mothers and writing about the, the things we would talk about in the mother-infant group but try to make yeah. it like in a more readable, prosaic yeah. way. We wrote that at, at night yeah. <laughs> with her sister who was really the writer. Um, so things just, you know, it, we, we always had the opportunity to sort of grow and learn and become interested in other things. and. Yeah. And, and start to do more of the psychotherapy piece of it as well because we just found that like motherhood was this incredibly ripe time to go deep inside yourself and learn about your own childhood because yeah. that's really what ends up kind of mattering when you're yeah. a mom. Like, yeah. It, that's what really informs everything, your own deep interconnection to your, your own early life, yourself as a baby. You are, you're growing up with your own parents and that knowing about that and tapping into that is the is the key to... Healing? Yeah, I mean, doing the best that one can yeah. do. You know, because... It, of course you're going to hurt your children. Of course you're going to make lots of mistakes and things yeah. are going to happen in life that you don't anticipate. But, you know, and it's before the, the word mindful was mm-hmm. used, but, but it was like... Be a thoughtful parent. Like think about your own psyche, your own history, your own trigger points, your own uh, vulnerability, your own hopes, and don't just imagine like I'm gonna come into this and I'm just, you know, I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna repair everything because yeah. you're you're not. Yeah. Um, and about women supporting each other and being yeah. in groups together and sharing the, you know, particularly as the years have gone on, it's even. Whatever pressure people were feeling back then is like nothing compared to the, you know, curated life that people yeah. are presenting to the outside world. And so, yeah. you know, what, what became Parent Talk turned into Soho Parenting. And we've always felt like it's an oasis. It's a, it's a place for the yeah. truth. You know, so how angry you are at your kids, how crummy you feel about yourself, the losing of your temper, what's really going on in your marriage... You know, you have to have a place where you're really speaking about what's really yeah. going on, and I think whether it's in a group, whether letting it's, it out, whether <laughs> exactly, whether it's in psychotherapy, whether it's coming with your spouse and doing couples work. You know, we want it to be a safe place where you can speak the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have. I, that was that was so great. You have this way of just like I feel like you're very you're a very calming person, and. Except when I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. I, I ran into at the wing, not when we met, mm. but I accidentally eavesdropped on a mother's circle because oh, I was right, working from saw, there the right. other day um, or a couple of weeks ago. And I like kind of overheard some things and I just was like, wow, that is what I would need to be okay with becoming a mother. I'm yeah. like nowhere near ready for that yeah. or in that headspace, but I was like, I couldn't do it without that. It was like the. It was like this weird flip switch of like, oh, well, if I had that, maybe I could do it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was. It's, it was really it's hard cool to imagine to not
1: actually having yeah. that. Which is, and one of the wonderful things about about the wing um, yeah. is that I've been able to start running this monthly mothers group yeah. there, which is really nice. And because my practice has changed more to psychotherapy than to working with new parents, like so, parenting has evolved over the years. So it's really nice to tap into. Yeah new mothers and it's really it's harder I think now in so many ways I mean I think I don't know there's just even more pressure to yeah. excel at everything than, than, yeah. than there was and there was a lot of pressure back yeah. then
0: too. Yeah what a beautiful thing that that you offer so there's so many things I want to pick up on through what you talked about I guess we'll start I would love to talk about your friendship and partnership with Jean that's mm-hmm. expanded 30 mm. years and 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 also just transitions I know you mentioned that you both were having babies at the same time yeah. and that's something I wrote down that I wanted to talk about I think there are so many transitions we go through in our lives but that one in particular of knowing when to leave a job I think is really really big and also not rushing things that, yeah. that was so what I needed to hear right now yeah. and I'm I'm making something new and and in a transition and I think just hearing that was really hit me hard Mm. right now of just knowing you have time I think especially I'm sure it was like that back then but less so than it is now of you have to be the next thing you have to keep going and someone's going to take you know your idea and it's it's all this pressure we put on ourselves but maybe you could talk about transitions Mm. and what that was like for you and just anything you learned and insights there.
1: Well it's interesting. Having a partner, yeah, um, having a business partner and friend for 30 yeah, years has so been, um, yeah, just one of the most enriching things in my life. And we, yeah. you know, we worked very hard on our relationship. It's not that we haven't gone through difficult, you know, both of us have gotten divorced, we've, we, you know, I, I mean, just. We've had, we've had our own lives. Yeah. We've had our own lives that have had lots of transitions. But the, the partnership and the commitment to our work has been a very grounding, stabilizing force for both of us in, yeah. our, in our lives. And um, I think that one of the things that we did, for instance, when we had our second children, kind of took turns. You know, we really mm-hmm. talked about, like, Okay, you know, we want to have, you know, and it, we we literally said, like, you go first.
0: Wow. Yeah. Who went
1: first? Jean went first. Um, she's she's old older. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't like, we weren't both totally ready at the same time. I think she was really ready first. But yeah. it was sort of like, you go do that. And I'm, we always say, like, I'll keep, hold you, down I'll hold down the fort. Yeah. You know. Um, and that is what we did. I, she took time off, she was, had her baby. I sort of held down the fort. I then had a baby, my, my younger daughter Maris, a year later after Jean had her second. And we, we always sort of talked to each other about slowing down. I think that is the most important thing that we have provided for each yeah. other is this idea of like, things happen in chapters. They can't happen all at once. We can't do everything what are our real values i mean one of the things that i think we did give up on was money you know which you know now at this stage of our lives as we're getting older it's you know it's big it's a big deal to think about but i you know because we did work less and make less money um but i really and so maybe we have to work longer but i wouldn't go back and change anything And i think that our value you know maybe had i been raised differently maybe i would have been more savvy about money you know that's one thing i think maybe she and i probably if we could have gone back and probably would have learned a little bit more about money and um and learned about our own money more but that's not we're clinicians we weren't business people we grew a business but it sort of followed our clinical skill but i think one of the things that we did is like money actually really wasn't the most important thing to us. Yeah, and it sounds like what you valued more
0: was and is, and rightfully so, was your time that, and money can come and go, but your time with your kids and your mental sanity. Yeah, exactly. Like, our money
1: went into therapy, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, we, we did... I think we kept really talking about, like, what is most important to us. And one of us might have gotten carried away with this or that at different times, but we would always come back and be able to sort of do like a values check. Like, what's most important? It's, I mean, certainly having a business and and earning money and being able to pay our bills and all those things are incredibly important. But like our relationships, our time with our children, Supporting our kids through the different things they went through in their lives because you know life is complicated. Yeah Um, And learning like we always supported each other in because we've trained in a lot of different things over the years like one of the things I think we always support each other was You take time and do that training that will that will bring more into the business like I wrote a book by myself You know like two years ago like it was always Go do that project. Go do that training. Support. It will always bring... We yeah. always sort of counted on that it would bring Rising something back into Soho someone, Parenting. Like so, it would yeah. enrich our practice. It would grow our business in some kind of way. We always have this faith of like learning would always yeah. somehow grow us in some way. So it is a very special yeah. relationship that, that we've had, that yeah. we've been able to... And even now, you know, as we think about... You know, it sort of feels like we're in the last chapter in some way. You know, um, how are we gonna how are we gonna do this end part or whatever? Or how yeah. long will we work? When will we retire? She has a grandbaby that she's wow. wants to spend a day. Like, and and it's always like, again, it's sort of like what's most important mm-hmm. and how are we gonna take care of ourselves and how are we gonna nurture the relationships in our lives? Yeah. So it's you know it's a different stage of life but I think it's the partnership works the same way
0: yeah that's so it's so inspiring it's such a great do you know that about shine theory no it's so Aminatu so and Anne Frieden wrote this article about female friendship mm-hmm. and it talks about how they use Kelly Rowland and Beyonce as an example uh-huh. but they talk about how when you allow your friend to shine it helps make you shine too and you oh. guys are I'll send it to you after yeah this. I would love but to. it's
1: it's a perfect example of yeah. this,
0: and it's really inspiring.
1: And it's it's not to say that we haven't gone through periods yeah. that have been, you know, difficult for us. Like, our kids were very friendly when they were little, and then they went in different directions, or different, you know, we went through different things in our lives, or our parents dying, you know, things like that. And and we're very different. We were sort of, um, we... we were different functions in the, and we're both clinicians, but in terms of the business, we're very, very, I'm always, I remember going like, Jean, we need a website. And she was like, what's a website? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Which, like, thank goodness. Right. Yeah. Like I was always pushing us, and, but she was always very grounding, you know, but eventually, yeah. but but we had that kind of yin and yang. So we, we never, we, we don't function the same business, or we didn't. I think we're more similar now. But, You know, we pushed and pulled each other in different ways. which
0: is probably why contributes to the success of of it. I want to talk more about um, therapy Mm -hmm. and the importance of therapy. And you said that that you, you know, grew up with it, which I think is is so wonderful. And then your kids were able to grow up with it. And that's not the case for for so many people. I grew up in Michigan and Mm -hmm. had no concept of even what therapy was. I think I remember my mom maybe briefly mentioning something that I that I think was therapy now looking back when she went through her divorce like I talked to this woman yeah and then then she like stopped very quickly and that was all I knew about it and then when I was in college and was in eating disorder recovery Mm -hmm. I had to be in therapy as part of that and thank goodness that I did it it changed everything just finding being able to Realize that things that I thought were completely normal weren't normal and it just as you know and understand completely Has changed my life and so I would love to talk about the value of therapy at different stages in life and Finding the right therapist Mm -hmm. and maybe you could talk about that a bit.
1: Yeah, you know I was reading in your book when you were talking about um, You know the kind of the 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 negative voices in your head and the critical parts and 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 I was thinking about um, one thing I want to say about therapy is the most recent study of mine. The most recent training has been something called internal family systems therapy, and it really—it really spoke to what you were writing about yourself as you were working with your eating disorder and the kind of negative messages you would give yourself. Um, I mean, I think, I think the relationship with the therapist is ultimately the most important thing rather than any one technique or the other yeah I mean I think the idea you know we have we have such a like a you know this sort of American independent spirit sort of I think that's part of why therapy is stigmatized because it's an interdependent relationship and like our culture was so much built on this idea of like pioneer and and independent Mm. spirit and not focused enough on relationship and I really think what therapy really is is a relationship it's like a um ultimately can become like a um like a safe little matrix in which to learn about yourself and to certainly learn sort of technique you know you can learn techniques from your therapist breathing or life force yoga or internal family systems but I think ultimately it's really about cultivating just knowing you have this other brain this other person that's kind of on the journey partnering with you in learning about yourself yeah and and I always say because I see so many parents and they're like oh god what if my kid has to go in therapy I'm like you want your child like I say Therapy is getting a graduate degree in yourself. Mm. So would you actually say, if your child came to you and said, like, I want to get a graduate degree in myself, like, would you ever say no to that? Like, that's what therapy is. It's an intensive study of yourself. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, most people go because they're struggling in some way, but ultimately whether you're struggling or not or go through different phases I think the idea of that self study and that comes from yoga too the idea of like the study of yourself the, the the commitment to learning about yourself what what your heart tells you what your head is telling you what your gut is telling you what your body is telling you and and that having someone along the ride and it could be different people over different periods of your life people give us come in and leave in life but to have somebody who, who makes that commitment to you to, like, learn, to deeply learn about you with you, I think is so healing. Yeah, for sure. What
0: advice or is, are there things to look for when someone who's listening maybe is trying to find a therapist that's right mm-hmm. for them and know if it's a good fit off the bat other than, I, I, I th- I'm I assuming, there's some
1: intuition there. Yeah, my biggest suggestion is go for a consultation with more than one person. Okay. Because it's a little bit scary to go and meet someone and to be able to feel like you're interviewing them in yeah. a certain kind of way. And I think telling your story, talking about what you're looking for, what you need, what you're, what's on your mind, what you're struggling with, to more than one person sort of telling that same story and having the experience of their feedback in a consultation with more than one person, by the even even if you saw three people, I know and I know it's you know the thing is that, that financially is difficult, yeah. um, but it's really I feel like it's really worth the investment because I think the choice you make after meeting with more than one person will be a much more inf, informed in the head and the heart and the gut you know. Totally. And so I really recommend, I mean you usually get a name from somebody or you look on a website or whatever right. or you go to a, you know, like a institute or a center. I would ask
0: to meet with more than one person. Yeah. It's interesting about like the money piece because I've had three different friends in the last, maybe maybe the, I, I want to say week, but probably the, the last two weeks who have told me they're breaking up with their therapist and finding another therapist. Uh-huh. And so I look at that as that think about how much time it takes to build rapport and how much it time to build up that if they would have maybe
1: shopped around a bit I totally I I think I think you and in terms of the money I think you save in the money in the end by interviewing more than one person in the beginning like I'd rather put that investment up because and I and I remember I mean I've been you know in and out of different therapy you know since I'm 17 years old and I remember even as a 40 year old sort of deciding, like, okay, I really feel like I need something. And, and also just the idea of breaking up with your therapist and seeing another therapist, like, sometimes that doesn't mean the therapy wasn't a good therapy. Yeah, it, it just means, like, like phase it, it was yeah. that phase, it was that time, you're ready. You know, we, mm-hmm. we can't be everything to everyone. And yeah. I'm always, like, happy when someone decides to go and do something yeah. different. Um, but I remember, at, you know, at 40 going and meeting with three different people. And then just I felt so good about the choice that I made you know, after meeting with different people and hearing myself talk with them. And and I felt like I made a great choice. And then I had a wonderful relationship with somebody for, you know, a number of years who was so influential and helpful. So I feel like it's a really, it's worth the investment. Yeah. Uh,
0: Now getting into when you are in therapy, Mm -hmm. someone finds the perfect person, what advice do you have as a therapist for getting the most out of your experience and like what like what would you advise someone to come with or co- contemplate or how how does it work to be like an active participant
1: and well that's session? interesting because the most you I mean, mm. I have so many different clients but the people I love to work with the most are the people I go that's a hard worker mm. like some people come in and they kind of feel like fix me yeah tell me what to do yeah That's not what a therapist's job is. It's to help you access, I think, your own healing potential inside. And so when someone comes in having thought about things over the week, having... um, Done their homework. Yeah, and I don't mean homework meaning, you know, they have to go read a ton Mm -hmm. of things or they have to, but like, when someone comes in and says, this is what I've been thinking about over the week, or this is what, Stay with me from last session or I'm afraid to bring this up, but this is what happened yeah. this week. You know, like yeah. kind of daring yourself yeah, to reveal more than maybe you feel comfortable yeah. revealing. Um, I think that people are so worried about being judged. And I have to say like being, th- it's like the greatest therapists I know are like, Oh honey, bring it on. Like it's, it's their job. It's their job. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's, interesting like it, it helps you feel close like taking that risk of sharing something that maybe you feel sort of embarrassed about or a way you behaved yeah. or an interaction that you had or a thought you had take the risk yeah, because it just helps that your therapist know you more and and um you can kind of hit the ground running yeah exactly yeah exactly it's like yeah and don't expect your therapist to to fix you—that's yeah. not what they're there for. They're—they're they're there to partner with you for you to know yourself, know better. yourself better, yeah. and, and learn about your habits and learn about, you know, the things that that may have hurt you when you were young. And so these protective systems that yeah. you've grown with. Um, what I love about internal family systems—that yeah. I do want Tell to us talk about, about it. What,
0: what that is?
1: Yeah. Um, so a man named Dick Schwartz um, really came up with this model. Probably almost 40 years ago and his background was an eating disorder so I mm. think you find this really really interesting cool. so he was a family therapist working with mostly people who had bulimia and he would bring the family in and he would do all the sit you know work with you know the family in the best kind of way and he would actually help families address some of the systemic issues that were going on in the family but still the client was bulimic mm-hmm. and He started to meet with them alone, and and, um, he just was really listening deeply. And what he kept hearing was something like, a part of me, like, really wanted to stuff myself. And then another part of me felt like I had to get rid of that. And he started to work with what he heard were parts of people inside. Yeah. Like, it wasn't the same part of the person that wanted to eat was not the same person that wanted to purge. And the part that felt the shame was not the same person. It was almost like he started to, and not in a pathological way to think about kind of like we think we start to think about multiple personality disorder. I mean, it's not pathology. It was more like that's how the human psyche worked. Like the same part of you... That wants to just think about a regular, you know, there's a part of you that wants to exercise and be healthy, and then there's the part that like had a hard day and wants down Down the pint of Hagadas. It's not the same part. Right. Right? And so he as he was working with this eating disorder clients, he started to experiment with saying, Well, could you ask the part that wants to, you know, that's criticizing you if it would kind of go into a virtual waiting room for a minute? Because I wanna talk to the part that's feeling the shame. And so he started to do what he would do with actual people in the room, like ask the mom to go out of the room, ask the dad to go out of the room, bring somebody in. He started to do it inside the client's minds. And he started to develop this idea that all of these different parts of the person, an integrated person, had a different intention, but that they were all positive. Like, the part that wanted to eat was trying to protect the part that was feeling so uncomfortably shamed. And the part that wanted to purge didn't want the person to gain too much weight. And he started to come up with this idea that um, all of our parts, even when they're doing destructive things that look destructive, their intention is good. So even a super critical part that's saying, you know, you fat, lazy piece of shit or whatever inside... Was trying to be like, I want you to be good, I want you to get this done, I want you to yeah. be perfect, I want, you to, I, I want you to succeed, but was doing it in a really, really harsh way. So he, what he really came to was, if we listen to these parts deeply enough and stop trying to get rid of them, like stop trying to just get you to stop, but more welcome them in and learn about them, he started to really realize that every part inside a person's internal system had a positive intention. And when he kept asking these parts to step back so he could learn about other parts, he would always get to this place in the person where they would go, no, 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 that's just me. Wow. And the place where they would say, that's just me, was always loving, wise, compassionate, wow. uh, had a lot of patience. It's like the soul or something. Mm, he would this is so, so, fascinating. it's so fascinating. And so what he came up with, with was this model of internal family systems which he believes that all of us have an undamaged, wise, healthy core. It's a very spiritual model. And that's actually what heals us. Mm -hmm. And that our parts of us, some of them are just healthy and they're humming along. Some of them get extreme because of trauma, because of experience, because of our culture. And those parts just need a relationship with, with the self, with the with the core, because once they feel understood, for instance, like a super critical part, I worked with this really critical, um, a, a really critical part that I called Snidely Whiplash, because it looked like the cartoon character. A lot of my parts, you know, came about when I was little. And so yeah. uh, I had this part that was just like, twirling his evil mustache, <laughs> and it was so cruel, so like, you know, you're, you know, you're terrible, and you're not this enough, and you're not that enough, and once I started to be able to sort of see that part in this kind of cartoon form, and to try, and to start to dialogue with it inside myself from this wise, compassionate self, what I realized was that this part came in when I was really young, and it was trying to criticize me before somebody else criticized Mm -hmm. me, and it was trying to just make me perfect. Yeah. And... Once I was able to be like, oh, my God, I'm so grateful for the Oh, you've worked so hard for me. Like, I really had the sense that this critical part was really just trying to protect me from shame. I felt so loving and grateful. And it was so, it took a bow and it was like, wow, "Wow, I've been working so hard. I'm really actually exhausted. I would love to rest. And so you make these relationships inside and then it just softens. It's like, I, I rarely hear that kind of mm. internal criticism anymore. If I do, it's just like, "Whoa, what is going on?" It's like it would just it you know, it was so like Congrained. syntonic with me that yeah. I didn't even realize I was hearing it. Yeah. And now it's like if I would say something really mean to myself, I would just be like, "What is what wait, stop, yeah. slow down, what's going on?" And I would be able to to bring myself into a moment where I would really investigate what yeah. was going on and make a connection with what, what that part and what was it trying to, what good was it trying to bring me? But I could often say like, you can say that, but you can say it in a nicer voice yeah. or something like that. Wow. So the internal family systems model, which I learned, I guess about 10 years ago, I f- feel like it's been, and I've studied EMDR, which yeah. is a trauma processing therapy. And I, you know, I've studied a lot of different things. I, I have to say internal family systems. Yeah. It's so loving. It's so Mm non-pathologizing, and it really brings the locus of the healing inside the client. So you're kind of like a conduit or a channel, like you're a loving presence. You may be bringing your self energy to the client, but the but the client really learns about their own system of parts. So it's I'm, and that's I do it with kids, and it's so fun with kids because yeah. they're amazing and they use art and they draw pictures and it's so beautiful yeah in book too yeah i think every parent is, should it's a yeah. I, I think it's an easy i think it's easy to oh, read oh it is and it's fun to read yeah like it's fun there's, to read the stories are, yeah the stories are great so i started to um you know i learned it on uh, you know in, in adult work but i've always seen kids and i just started kind of playing around with it and the kids would like i would i would say like okay close your eyes and go inside and you know, I know, you're, you know your mom's been telling me you've been kind of getting really mad lately. Like, can you close your eyes and go inside and see if you can find the mad part? And they would, like, open their eyes and go, like, oh, it's in my stomach, and let me wow. draw it. And it was so natural for kids because yeah. they're not, you know, they don't have the stick. They have haven't the picked stick. up all the Velcro. Exactly. Yeah. All, like, the embarrassment or whatever. Yeah. And so it, it's so great with kids. And the stories, which I would come out, and I would tell Jean, I'd be like, you're not going to believe what just happened. They yeah. would come out with these amazing stories, and, Jean has always said to me for 30 years, I would always come and say, like, oh my god, this happened in this session. She'd always go like, write it up, write it up, cool. write it up. <laughs> so this time finally she was like, Write it up. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna write I'm gonna write a book. Good. Oh, so that's, that's so what cool. sort of inspired me to yeah. Um, yeah. to write the book. I
0: think you mentioned internal family systems at the event that where we met at right. the wing about anxiety. And I wanna talk about anxiety. It's so funny that that day, I don't know if I told you this, but the ironic thing was I hadn't even planned to, I I had signed up for the event and I was like, I I can't go because I'm so overwhelmed, all these things, and and I was feeling so anxious, and then I was there and I was like, oh, I need to be here, (laughs) like, I needed to stay and be there, and then here I am talking to you, yeah, Yeah. but it, it was so interesting and wonderful in a weird way to be in the room was so that the event was so crowded
1: I mean, which there were hundreds of women
0: hundreds there. of women which made me feel
1: simultaneously less alone and really sad yeah. at the same time Me too I had the same feeling I was I was the energy in the room was so loving and you yeah. sort of felt like there's this huge Healthy. community and yeah. then it was kind of like oh my god what is going on in our yeah. culture it's just
0: Yeah and I I think to do this work and to do it in a in a powerful way you have to slow down and I think walking around and being so stressed all the time and trying to do so much and yeah. go, go, go. And I want to make this thing. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'll speak for myself. And I know so many people listening will relate to this, but we have, we're ambitious and yeah. I want to do so much and I want to make stuff and I want to do all of these things, but it's making our, making us sick. I think stress is, is making us sick and, and making us anxious. So You said something that really stuck with me, which I think you already addressed with internal family systems, But, and I wrote this down, but not looking at yourself as an anxious person, Mm -hmm. but looking at yourself as having an anxious part, and how does that part need care? Can you go into that a little bit and share maybe some of the exercises
1: that you shared? Yeah, absolutely. So when we globalize and we call ourselves whatever it is, uh, an anxious person, a depressed person, an angry person, uh, even an ambitious person, Yeah, um, we we really simplify um, and then attach and identify with a label that I think doesn't do us a, a service. Because we have a multitudes of yeah. know, parts inside. And one of the things in terms of the in terms of therapy that's really interesting is there's a lot of work in psychology that's about getting rid of things like let's get rid of that symptom mm-hmm. let's eject it you know let's um i've i've had you know i know plenty of people who have gone to therapy certain kinds of therapy about their anxiety and the whole idea is to kind of like attack this anxiety and get rid of it see it as an enemy in some way and I don't know what your experience is, but I think it comes back twice as hard. Totally it just what doesn't this persists. Right? It just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And that's why IFS has been so helpful because the idea is if every part of you has a positive intention, then your anxiety also has a positive intention. Yeah. And if we think about it in terms of evolution, that you know, being on alert, being in a our heart rate being up, our, our shoulders being up, like There are times and places where anxiety is life-saving for us, Yeah, you know, and being aware and being afraid or being aware of danger, and, and so anxiety just as a state has been with human beings forever, so there must be an evolutionary positivity to it. And so if you, and then if you think about it as a part of you, if there's an anxious part It's trying to my idea is like make a relationship with that part learn about it What is it trying to do? What is it trying? How is it trying to help you? It may have gotten extreme and it may take over But you can't really settle something down unless you're in relationship with it. So one of the Exercises Mm -hmm. in a way is is just the it's it's um, it's it's asking not to overwhelm so if you're feeling super anxious and the terminology we use in IFS is blended. So if we're blended with a part, meaning we can't really access that separateness that like I'm in my centered self and here's this anxious part of me. If we're blended, that part's taken over. We really can't help it out and what it really means, this anxious part, is connection and care. So when you start to feel Overwhelmed or overtaken, like we call it, like a parts attack or being hijacked by a part. Yeah. If you can have enough presence to say inside of yourself, Can you not overwhelm me right now? If you can agree not to overwhelm me, I can help take care of you. Mm-hmm. And that often, it does feel like something happens inside where you get this little bit of like a window of separation between you and the anxiety and once you have a little bit of separation from that part then something new can happen yeah you know you can choose you can you can choose to do something that you know is soothing to yourself like you can even in that moment say uh, you know maybe somebody has the presence of mind to do some kind of a breathing practice but yeah. maybe it's really even just like walking outside or maybe it's having a glass of water, or maybe yeah. it's jumping around and shaking or I've been doing this. One yeah, <laughs> that's a really good one. You know, so you can, you know, that so you can even just say, like, what do you need right now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and listen deeply inside yourself. And maybe, maybe it's just sit here quietly, yeah. you know, but and it could be to go for a run, you know, like, you don't know what you're going to hear. But yeah. if you can ask, it's like with a kid. If like you have a totally tantruming kid who's like climbing all over you and you can just say to them, listen, if you can not overwhelm me, if you can step back for just a minute, I can help take care of you. And so it's the same thing. It's almost like little children inside of us that have gotten like, they're having a tantrum basically. Yeah. And so if you can ask that anxious part or depressed part or worried part or whatever to not overwhelm you, then you get this moment where that kind of compassionate center starts to shine through. And then you can make some choices just in that moment. It it might not be the life choice. Maybe there's a bigger conversation about, for instance, should I leave this job or should I leave that relationship? Or, you know, am I eating enough? Or am I working out too much? Or am I sleeping enough? Or, you know, am I online too much? Or whatever, like when you can tune in and be like, what's bothering you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and so in a, in a way you're the caretaker of your own set of parts inside yeah. and I, I felt that that has been so incredibly helpful
0: yeah it, it me too I it's interesting and journaling ha, is has been well, such a fantastic tool for me and I, I said this in the book because I wasn't getting enough out of I wasn't able to get enough out of what I wanted out of my therapy sessions at first because I was masking myself I wanted to be liked I wanted to I was hiding and so in my that's why I started journaling nobody told me to but I was like well here I can be real here I can for the first time in my life not you know try to be a people pleaser because no one's going to read this it's just for me And then eventually I was able to take that into my therapy and and say, I would start sessions or end sessions, usually being like, what I really don't want to talk about, but I should. (laughs) Exactly. Like I was saying before. Push yourself a little. Totally. And I do that. And I'll, I'll even sometimes say, like, you need, I'll say to my therapist, like, we need to talk about this. I don't want to and that's when the good stuff happens that's when that and that's why it's called let it out because you know as a kid my mom would say to me when i was like had the flu yeah you know you let it out out. it's the same thing with your thoughts and your mind and and i i find that that's so useful when it comes to writing you know you've written books and do do you find journaling
1: is something that you recommend to people is it something you personally do i wanted to say a couple things about your book because i find it so helpful. I I think of journaling in IFS terminology as as an unblending exercise, mm. right? So whenever yeah. we can unblend from parts where where our our self with a capital S is present and we're learning about parts of ourselves, the whole system settles down. Mm. And I think journaling is one of the most um, important Unblending exercises because what and that's what I do with with kids. What I do, with, what I what I suggest to whether sometimes it's drawing, sometimes it's writing. Yeah. Once you put something out on paper, once you um, put something down, you're a little bit separate from it.
0: Yeah, I feel like I intuitively
1: found that. And and that that's was... what I when I was you know there were a couple of exercises that I you know just. I was the the future self when you when you talked about like write a letter to write um write a letter to your future self and then have your future self write a letter to you. Um, It was so helpful because I feel like that is part that is parts work. Yeah, (laughs) just that idea of a future self and a self now and and that all the ways in which you you um, ask people to sort of ask themselves these questions or write down a list of this. Once, once you do that, and it's separate, and you can look at it on a piece of paper, you're just a little separate from it. So yeah. you're not overtaken by it. And I so wish I, I met th- you before I read the book. And no, I could use the <laughs> IFS terminology. No, but you're, you I mean, you can. <laughs> well, now we. Can. I, now you can, and and you would. Oh, you would. You would love IFS because yeah, you intuitively came to your yeah, own whole book on how to unblend. Because once you do that. You get perspective, you get patience. Self awareness. So you get this kind of awareness yeah. and you get a kind of calm that I think you talked about coming to, like you were trying to meditate and that, you know, your mind was yeah. all over the place. And, and, and it's so great to have a bunch of different tools yeah. To, yeah. to separate from what can feel really overwhelming. And so yeah. I think journaling is, you know, just an incredible unblending tool. Yeah. Just, just so helpful. So, yeah. so helpful.
0: That, it's it's so interesting and it's yeah it's funny how i how I came to that I think and it and it's something I have to keep coming back to like I wrote that book when I was 23 now wow. I just turned 28 and so it's like I feel far from it and I recently mm-hmm. like a couple weeks ago I decided to go back to doing morning pages mm-hmm. every day and it's so funny how yeah just like skimming the pond and being able to see all the different you've got like the board of directors, and you've got the, the parent, and you've got the inner child, and you've got all these different right. voices in my head to just like
1: right. sort
0: through them, and they're, they're, they're that your parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It's so it's so connected. So I yeah, yeah, I think your book that's what I love about it is it's Thank so you. and it's so um, it's so user friendly. It's so like do this exercise, mm-hmm. and it's just like that moment of like you know your gratitude. You you have the the um, gratitude. Hey, the gratitude tool, yeah. tool. and um, I've been in a text gratitude group for about oh, five cool. years now. We just, almost every morning, text five things we're grateful I for in the that. morning, and it is like, it changed my life. It's really cool, right? Yeah, yeah. because it's just, it's no matter what kind of, uh, you know, you just sit you do down and sort of like, thing. you have this like shift, and you just, you know, yeah. you just sort of like, wow, these are really these are things I did it today and I was like I'm grateful I get to go talk to Lisa Uh, (laughs) that's so nice we have um now we 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 have different people have come and gone but we have a group of four women one my younger daughter and Jean my partner and another friend of ours and we just you know we almost have done it almost every day for the past year yeah it's really cool so So I just I loved what you said and in in your book I think it's such a great resource thank
0: you so much that means so much from you I want to talk about something with anxiety. I would love your thoughts on this. So, of course, my anxiety pools in all different directions. But recently, and this came up in the thread in the secret Facebook group for the listeners, that I wasn't alone in this, which made me feel better, but also kind of sad in that in yeah. that way. Um, my anxiety has been pooling in indecision really intensely mm-hmm. is that something that's common and what are kind of your do you have any thoughts on that and on making decisions yeah, yeah. it's like the little ones even can be so overwhelming to me like some big decisions I, I tend to be even more okay with it's like the little day-to-day ones and I feel like living in New York
1: there's yeah. so many yeah um I what I like about decisions is like Pema Chodron, have you ever... Dito you know Pema I Chodron? I love her, yeah. I love her. So she talks about the sort of the Buddhist idea of no big deal, which I love, um, because we can really get caught up in the urgency of... Um, in decision-making, of feeling like there's a right answer, I have to figure out the right answer, what should I do now? And I think as you do that, your heart rate goes up, your shoulders go yes, up, your yes. eyebrows go up. And what what I use as a sort of antidote to that is I kind of hear Pema Chodron's voice going, no big deal. And I just bring yeah. in the idea of like, this, it, it, and not in a dismissive way in like, this is ridiculous. That would be like a critical part would be like, come on, just choose one, that's right. ridiculous. But the sort of no big deal thing is like, kind of like it's all gonna be okay. <laughs> comforting, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like you know what? This really isn't a big deal. Do this or do that. It doesn't. It doesn't actually usually matter that yeah. much in the end, and so it's like a loving way of saying no big deal, and that is often what what I bring in. That's sort of like. It's perspective. Yeah. I think that that I, the Buddhist idea of no big deal is really sort of like, a, of like okay, perspective. So should I walk or take the train? Should I answer this phone call? Should not? You know, this this moment of like, you know, either one will probably be yeah. okay. So, I mean, I think Buddhism is one of the most comforting tools that yeah. people can, even just reading or listening to podcasts. Yeah, or just, Pema Chodron. She's like, her books. Uh love Yeah,
0: her. yeah. Another thing that... That was very helpful. Thank you. There's... This is something that a therapist told me a, wa- a long time ago, but it's something I'm still constantly... It's like a unraveling, I find, that I need to return to again and again, which is I used to walk around saying, oh, I feel so many feelings. I feel so many feelings. And this therapist stopped me and was like, you know, Katie, you don't feel feelings at all. You think you're feelings. You're <laughs> right. not in your body. You're not feeling anything. Right. And... I find when I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I just have a lot on my plate, that's kind of the first thing to go because I'm just managing and, like, kind of coping and pushing my feelings aside. And sometimes I can't feel a feeling when it arises because I'm, like, on the subway and I can't just, like, emote right there and I have to kind of sub it down. But then, eventually, like, there's all of these different things that I need to feel and I don't want to turn to my coping mechanisms, which... You know, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Right, like all of us. Like all of us. So what are your kind of go-to tips or or how do you or, you know, how do you yeah. recommend to your patients um,
1: feeling feelings? Well, I, I, you know, it's interesting what your therapist is talking, I think. What she's really talking about is, is the body. Like what you're feeling is like... Um, is physiological first. Like, there's the thoughts that we have, and then there's the body sensation. And one of the things that I like to do if I feel overwhelmed, and this is what I do in therapy all the time with my clients too, is sort of, okay, I always start with the body. Mm. What are you feeling in your body? And what I've been saying recently is sort of like, do a little MRI scan starting at the head and just see what lights up. breathe into that part that's lit up in your body. Like that that rather than trying to figure out your thoughts or what your you know what your quote mm-hmm. feelings are is if you start just with the body and you notice like my stomach is tight, my shoulders are clenched, my jaw is hurting. If you just focus on the body first and w- whether you see it as lit up or you just feel the sensation what I just try to do is direct breath to that part of the body. And again, what I think that is, is what shows up in our body is also like a part of us trying to communicate with yeah. us. And so if you breathe and send breath to that part, you're kind of saying like, in a way you're sort of saying like, I, I know you're having trouble. Yeah, like I see you. I see you, yeah. exactly. And and the other thing would be um, just to put your hand wherever it is. So you know my I, I you know like whether i feel lots of, you know a lot of people do but i feel a lot in my chest yeah, so often too. like i feel like a heaviness in my chest you do yeah so sometimes if i you know and you can do that on the subway yeah <laughs> you know like you're just like ah, okay what am i feeling in my body and if i just focus on that also it takes you out of your mm-hmm. head and the rumination that we all do and then i often will say like oh i just feel heavy in my chest sometimes if i just put my hand there it's almost like I'm taking care, I'm taking care of a child inside yeah. of me. Yeah. And so I feel like just starting with the body, like we're also up in our head, like thinking, 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 thinking. Yes. Um, and we can't think our way out of a lot of things. We really can't. So I, to me, it's just go simple just go, what am I feeling in my body? And then either try to send breath there or put your hand there. Yeah. And often again, at that moment, there's like this little bit of perspective or, that comes in, or you're kind of like, I, I don't know, it's just, I think you separate. Again, I think it's about getting overwhelmed mm-hmm. and blended versus being separate. Yeah. And when we feel a little bit of separation, it's kind of like, oh, I'm really anxious about, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting my mother for dinner, and da-da-da-da-da, yeah. yeah. I mean? you know, you just get the sense of like, oh, that's what's going yeah. on, and then you're kind of like, okay. Yeah. You know, it just slows things down. Yeah, it's so helpful. Yeah.
0: My my friend Misty is a musician and she's actually done this podcast and, and she was in town for a show last week and we had dinner and she gave me a very similar tool. She was saying that like sometimes she's overcome with something while she's at rehearsal or even on stage and I went mm-hmm. to see her and what she does is she puts her hand on her heart and just like feels it and I went to see her show and I was right in the front row and I saw her doing this, yeah, and then after I I went back and I knew, like I knew something was up with her and then I went backstage and she was like, I got the worst migraine right before I had to go on and perform and I would have never known because she did it and she was amazing, but she, the entire time I could just tell and it was this beautiful moment for me to see like, that's my friend feeling a feeling. like right. I can do that too. That's right. And it, yeah, it honestly makes me cry. It, it, yeah,
1: it's so, you know, and it's like, it's this way where we really have a lot of capacity to take care of ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like being your own inner good parent. I mean, sometimes yeah. we can be our own critical, inner critical parent, but it's it's almost to think of yourself as like these, these very young beings inside of yeah. us, and they're just struggling, and they just need sometimes like that petting or yeah. that... You know, that slowing down um, because everything is rushing around.
0: Totally. And I, I'll i speak for myself, and I, I know I'm not alone in this. I've gotten really good, and this might be like a lingering eating disorder thing too, but I'm really good at ignoring my body. Mm-hmm. Like, even in, in little ways where, which I guess none of them are little, but from feeling, like the kind of the big ways, yeah. but I, I'll find myself like, really focused on a project and realizing that, like, I haven't gotten up to pee and my legs yeah. are asleep and right. my eyes are crossed and I'm hungry and, like, of course I'm going to be anxious and get mad at my boyfriend and whatever right. when I'm not taking no. care of myself. Right. And so just, like, but it's so ingrained in me and I, I think I saw my mom do it and I yeah. saw her, like,
1: we just ignore we ourselves. Do. We do. And that's why these things are practices, like, and that's why I think yoga so yoga can be so incredibly yeah. helpful as you know, I've been practicing yoga for twenty years now wow. and it's just like, oh my God, thank god I don't know how I would have like survived without yeah. it. But the noticing of the body is mm-hmm. is the first place to start. Yeah. You know, it, it really um, but I think that practicing you create new habits by practicing. You you create new neural networks. Like you've had maybe whatever you had you know twenty something yeah. years of those habits. Right. And you know maybe the, some of those habits will stay for a really long time, but you're creating other habits right alongside. Yeah. So if you actually start to practice, like what am I feeling in my body right now? What am I feeling in my body right now? Let me just stop and take a breath and check in. That becomes a new set of habits that 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 develop and so I think that we can over time by practice it becomes a new unconscious that can even become not not we don't want to be unconscious but it becomes so natural by practicing it that we just tend to do that so the hand might go to the heart before you even realize that you need to put your hand on your heart because your body knows it already you're like building a new neural pathway
0: yeah yeah another thing that a lot of people talked about when there were questions about this and because of my story a lot, we talk a lot about body image issues Mm -hmm. and, and, and food on this podcast and food and eating issues, which is related to anxiety. I think, can you speak to any tools you have on body image and, um, navigating, you know, being a woman in the world and
1: well, I feel like I'm just a woman in the world, too, and I have my own, you know, I have my own struggles with, you know, and, and at every different phase, it's different now, it's sort of like the aging body, that's so strange, I mean, I think what I try to recognize is that, again, it's sort of the, the idea of having parts, like, I do still have parts that will want to deprive or mm-hmm. still believe, you know, that skinny person is happier or what. like I have parts that still have junk the Kool-Aid and, and then I have other parts of me that are more grounded and healthy and remind me to eat well and to exercise and that are, it was also something in your book where you were talking about, like you can... Um, You can kind of trick yourself into being, you know, you're doing the healthy thing, but you're not doing it for a healthy reason. I just don't think there's any purity. Like, I think for us as women, we have to recognize that we're... I don't think... I don't know any women. I don't think it's ever about you're going to be so completely, like, resolved and healthy that you're not going to have body issues or you're not going to have envy or you're not going to want to have your jeans feel loose or whatever. I just think that's kind of kind of like something we have to accept. Yeah. But I think it's recognizing when you hear the voices turning up the volume mm. of that that you sort of have to because I do think again it's it's a perfectionistic part. Totally. And I believe that perfectionists are just trying to protect us from shame. Mm. Right? I think their yeah. positive intention is that we don't have to feel badly about ourselves in some way. And so they, they may have a vantage point that actually isn't good for us by like not eating enough or over-exercising or something. Yeah. But I think if we keep reminding ourselves that even the parts of us that want to do things that are self-sabotaging in a way are trying to help, and that you can just sort of listen and sort of be like, yeah, I know you want me to feel good about myself. Or, you know, I know you want me to you notice that my mood is better when I'm three pounds lighter or whatever. I I think we have to just accept that we have a lot of voices inside and we probably always are. I mean, now at 57, you know, it's very odd to have an aging body, you know, and have watching my mother getting older and hating watching her, you know, crepey skin or whatever. And I'll look down and I'll be like, oh my God, like I can't believe that's my own arm, you know? And, you know, of course, I'll have people say, like, you look great and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you're up close with your own body, yeah, as it's, it's all changing different. and you know, like, I, yeah, maybe if I lifted 20-pound weights for six hours a day, I wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. But who wants to do yeah, that? Exactly. That, that we're going to have to accept that there are going to be kind of the critical voices. But they're just kind of part of a chorus of things. Yeah. And some of them are loving and some of them are critical and some of them are going to urge us to like get out and go to the gym and that's you know that but we're just going to have to embrace that there's a, a like a chorus In the and, system. <laughs> and 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 we're no one I don't think any one of us are going to get to a place where we don't have unhealthy thoughts yeah. about our bodies I yeah. really don't yeah yeah at least right
0: now unless
1: I don't, I can't yeah. I don't I don't know anybody. I am mean I work with kids as young as five years old who are already talking about like mm-hmm. that they're fat or they're not pretty enough or they don't like their legs or I don't think you, we can escape that yeah. in, in our culture. Yeah. I just don't think so. So I think it's more like not beating ourselves it's sort of the difference between pain and suffering, like so you notice some unhealthy set of thoughts or feelings yeah. that are coming up that are self-critical. Like you could just be like, okay, I noticed that criticism is really coming up. But to then beat yourself up for having the critical thought, that's yeah. where the suffering comes in. Like it's painful enough that right. we, you know, that we strive so much for perfection. Yeah. But it's the extra added being hard on yourself for like, oh my God, that's that's such a... You know, that's such an unhealthy thought. I can't believe I'm thinking. That's where the suffering comes in. It's kind of like, okay, there's that kind of crazy critical part that really wants me to, you know, be yeah. under this weight or whatever. There it is. It's trying to help me in some kind of way. I Maybe I can just welcome it and say, yeah. like, I know you're trying to help me. Thanks. Yeah. You know, because I just don't think there's purity when it comes yeah. to women in and, and their own relationships to their bodies. I yeah. just, I think that's an unreal. That's perfectionism yeah. in itself.
0: Totally. Totally. That was so, that was all very helpful. There's so much that I want to ask you. I feel like I want to do, I'll kind of do these as, as quick fire ish, but just, you know, some might be longer than others. Um, well, we'll we'll start here. Um, I'll, I'll start them off easy and then some of them will be a bit longer. Okay. What was the best thing you've eaten in the last week?
1: Best thing I've eaten in the last week? Oh my God, last night I had these apric- dried apricots, Ooh, yeah. and I, I kept saying, like, what are the name of this nut? It was some kind of nut that I don't know the name of, uh-huh. but it, they sort of look wet, but they're not wet. Oh, like a like an almond? They kind of look like almonds, but they're not almonds. Uh-huh. I have no idea, but last night I had these nuts and this these just dried apricots yeah. that were like a trail mix situation? No, they were separate. It was like some, some little platter at someone's oh, house. Nice. And it was just that sounds lovely. And they were just amazing. That sounds lovely. Those are the best. Spots.
0: I love when something
1: like that just like hits the spot. Yeah, it like, Wow.
0: What's your favorite part of your life right now? Well, I'm in love. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is a good one. This this is later down, but what is your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? You work a lot with couples and relationships.
1: Mm-hmm. What is my greatest lesson? Well, it really all st- oh, goes back to the self knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like our deepest fears and our deepest longings were ingrained in us at very very early ages, and so I really do think. Um, Learning about what scared you and what comforted you when you were little is probably the most important thing to learn about in terms of romantic relationships, because that intimacy brings up those very early feelings of wanting to be cared for.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. What is your greatest lesson on
1: creativity? play just play yeah. play will lead you in the right direction in terms of creativity
0: greatest lesson or let's talk about mindfulness a little bit mm. we've mentioned yoga and meditation and journaling what what is kind of your practice with mindfulness you you do yoga do you meditate what are what are tools that have been helpful
1: for you okay the things that are the well yoga has been my I feel like it's moving meditation yeah. so yoga is the thing that that speaks to me the most um, and I have been practicing for about 20 years and um, I think what yoga metaphorically does for me is that it teaches me that when I'm in a pose when I'm holding something that's uncomfortable I need to breathe into it
0: mm. Yeah.
1: so so practicing yoga, even though in some of it's, you know, just for exercise, you know, I, I think that, I mean, I think yoga is one-stop shopping in terms of intellectual, spiritual and physical, mm-hmm. but I think the thing I've, that helps me the most about yoga is it just reminds me I can, I can hold a pose, you know, it's a, like we, my, a friend of mine, really good friend of mine, who's a yoga teacher, Devi, was talking about like parenting is like the longest pose you ever hold. Yeah. It's really a long and hard pose, yeah. but that idea of like. I think yoga helps you learn that you can you can hold something yeah. and you can breathe into it.
0: Yeah. And soften
1: around it rather than constricting. So I I love yoga. I also really love um knit, knitting and needlepoint are oh. my other biggest mindfulness. Um I made blanket right here, baby blanket. Oh, okay. I made that pillow back there. Oh, you made that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So That's I beautiful. I find that doing something with my hands mm-hmm. Um, I would say yoga and using my hands are my two biggest mindfulness practices. So I always have some kind of craft project going on, on, like a knitting or a needlepoint. And I find that I'm sitting in one place, I'm looking down, I'm looking at color, I'm watching my hands move. Sometimes I can be listening to a book while I'm doing it. Sometimes I'm thinking, sometimes it's on the subway, but it's like, it's very centering Mm -hmm. for me. And I've been doing um, knitting needle points since I was a little kid. Wow. And I feel like making things is yeah. really, I just, I don't know, I just feel like it is very centering for me. Yeah. So those are my, I would say those are my main mindfulness practices. Um, I've also studied something called life force yoga. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah, is um, like a that. wonderful um set of, so as a therapist, you can study life force yoga as a yoga teacher or as a therapist. Mm-hmm. So if you're a therapist studying life force yoga, you learn breath, breath practices, chant, chanting and sound, because when we vibrate the, you know, the, the chakras really, where it's very, very healing. So as a therapist, you can learn to do breath and sound and hand motions that are called mudras. And they really affect the nervous system and so learning life force yoga was also something that was really usually i start most of my sessions with my clients in just a 10-minute meditation practice that's usually some kind of life force yoga which what i love about life force yoga is the amy weintraub who is the um developer of of life force yoga she talks about giving the mind a bone to chew on like so many of us have a really hard time meditating because our minds are like wild tigers and what what she does is she has actual practices where you're often like counting your breaths or you're doing a specific exhale and inhale. So you're actually thinking about the breath practice. You're not just sitting and breathing in and out and trying to still your mind. You're actually actively engaged in a little breath practice, or one of the things I taught you, some of them are standing, some of yeah. them are sitting. It's almost like it can be a portal into into meditation because if you do some of those practices you settle down enough to be actually just to observe your breath mm-hmm. but i think a lot of us have a really hard i have a really hard me time too. meditating i have a yeah, really hard time with just you know and i've done like um, you know MBSR mindfulness based stress reduction i've taken a course i've you know and i i often find that i do it for a period of time and then i just can't me do too. It. yeah me yeah. too and life force yoga, what I love about it, it is a mindfulness practice, but it's very, you have to pay attention to what you're doing, and in that, you're breathing more deeply, you're inhaling, exhaling, you're pausing with breath inside of you, and I find that is a more helpful practice yeah. for me. Yeah, somebody active. told
0: me once that, and I, I would wonder what you think about this, that traditional meditation of like silencing the mind is a really masculine practice hmm. and it's really hard for for some women maybe it's not but for some women it's not a fit and doing something that has giving the mind a bone to chew or yeah. movement or like for me yeah. like I'm, I'm getting into collaging and like Ugh. having
1: something where yeah, that's where we're, way like we're writing. Meditating. See, I, yeah. I feel like we have to find yeah. the practices that fit us and yeah. to try to you know I've certainly spent time being disappointed in myself and not being better at meditating every Me day too. um but what I realized is like when I was talking about the crafts like that's a mind that's meditation it's works. yeah walking walking you know and so, so I I think that people need to find I'm not saying that studying meditation, or maybe yoga doesn't feel natural to you, but actually going to yoga and practicing over time will turn into something that feels more natural. But I feel like anything that you can do that slows you down, Mm -hmm. um, that gets you in touch with what you're actually feeling in your body, that gets you to pause, is is a great thing to do. And we have to try to, you know, there's so much of the. you know, even the mind, even mindfulness can become sort of some perfectionistic, totally. you know, you know, uh, way to beat ourselves up. And yeah. I, I'm just, I try, I mean, I, I'm prone to it as well, but I really try to be like, these are the things that help me be present, you yeah. know, and they might not look like somebody else's, yeah. but they help me. For sure.
0: I want to talk about, there's a lot of mothers who listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. What's your greatest lesson on Motherhood, and then well, I'll just I'll ask you that first.
1: <laughs> My greatest lesson on motherhood is, oh, motherhood—it's it's so it's so complex. I don't know if I can boil it down to one. Yeah. I guess it would be that you're not your child's higher higher power. Mm-hmm. You know that they have their own higher.
0: Mm, that's a thing. You know,
1: because as a mother, it's so co- it's so complicated because you carry them in your body if you're lucky enough yeah. to carry them in your body, and you feed them, and you're guiding them, and but they're they have to just have their own journey, and yeah. that all of our children are going to feel pain. It's not yeah. our job to have them a give them a pain-free life. Yeah, it's just to stay on the road with them.
0: You. You talk about in this article that I found when I was researching you that I think you wrote for the Omega Institute about navigating divorce for children, mm-hmm. and it made me tear up reading it because it would have been so helpful when I was young that all of the tips that you gave in that, but could you maybe talk about just a few tips that come to mind right now? I'll link to that article in the show notes about navigating divorce
1: as a parent. Well, having gone through a divorce myself, um, I mean, divorce is a a real trauma. Like, there's no way of getting around that it's just, it's one of the most heartbreaking experiences that a family can go through. Um, What I think we need to accept is that we have to try to be there for our own and our children's pain and not try to talk them out of their pain because mm-hmm. it really is a trauma like there's just no getting around that yeah um, i mean obviously there's so many different kinds of circumstances yeah. um there's a wonderful book that i think your parents who maybe are you know in the middle of divorce called divorce is the worst um the author's name is anastasia higginbotham and she does collage actually oh, yeah. her books are there's are beautiful to look at They're collage Um, but her, and the first one that she has a series of books about kind of like ordinary, terrible things she calls them, but divorce is the worst. is a wonderful book because what it talks about is we're always trying to like spin it to our kids in some way, like I'm better off or you have two homes now or, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, the idea is it's, it's really painful. And we're going to continue. And and we're going to also be okay. Yeah. Like, we're not okay, and we're going to be okay yeah. at the same time. Um, and, um, you know, and just, like, you have to accept your children's anger at you. No matter, no matter what actually happened, they're not going to figure... Your children are not going to figure out what happened until they're adults and probably married themselves and maybe with their own children. You just have to have faith that they're going to have to figure out their story later on and that there's mm-hmm. going to be you're going to have to try to kind of hold their anger and disappointment in you.
0: It was interesting reading that as someone who's gone through a divorce just as a child, uh, or I haven't, but <laughs> that would be weird to have gone through a divorce as a kid. But I my parents, what you were saying. Thank you. You were a child. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. Um, it's in, at the time, Like I had no... I think I was maybe 10 or 11. Mm. Like I had no idea what a trauma was and so to as an adult realize, oh, that that was rough. <laughs> you know, I think just that acknowledgement is is helpful looking back.
1: Yeah. 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 It's just it just shakes your ground. Yeah. You know, you yeah. just can't help that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I could talk to you forever. This is great. A couple yeah. a couple more quick ones. So okay. um what is your greatest lesson on entrepreneurship?
1: Hmm. Uh I would say... Um, I don't know, it sounds so trite or something, but I really believe it's sort of like, just go for your vision. Like, just go for your vision. Yeah. I mean, like I told you in the beginning, Jean and I walked into that doctor's office and we're like, we're going to run a parenting center yeah. for you. And it was like, hilarious. We had actually no idea what we were talking about. But some somehow we just sort of pursued our, pursued our vision, like, and just, um, and again, that you have your whole life to, yeah, that, but I needed to hear that. You have your whole life to, to make it happen, you know, and, and your, your career, your, um, you know, it, it, it's decades long.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. I think especially in the age that we're living in now, where you can see everyone else's progress, you can oh. see, you know, oh well, this person made this, and I knew them yeah. when this, and it's just it can, it can really mess with your head and feel like you have to get it in all right now. Yeah. and Yeah, I mean, stressful.
1: a few people make that happen, but most of us regular people, yeah, we we evolve over to, You know, you, yeah. um, you know, and and. And again, it's sort of like stick to your val, like stick with your basic values. That, in conjunction with your entre, like to be entrepreneurial and ambitious or have an ambitious part, is one part of you. But mm-hmm. your your basic core values have to they they have to talk to each other. Yeah. Your ambition and your entrepreneurial desires really, if you keep checking in with your basic core values about what's important to you, I, I think. I think you'll make something beautiful
0: yeah yeah I agree I love that okay greatest lesson on living in New York or a favorite New York moment to
1: least favorite moment mm. I mean I feel so privileged to live in New York I mean and I've been here since the early 80s I mean to me my favorite part about New York is I like, what I think about it is that it's a landscape. Like I think about it as like nature in its own way, like the buildings, the and so I just try to look around as if I'm looking at a beautiful landscape mm-hmm. every day. Like I know when I go when I'm in the mountains and I think this is crazy why am I living in New York? This is so beautiful. Yeah. But I try to remember that this is its own yeah. incredible landscape.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I love that. That's really good. Okay, greatest lesson on God,
1: spirituality, what do you think happens when we die, all of that. Uh, okay. Um, well, the first time I really think I really believed in God actually was when I um, when I gave birth to Audrey. I don't think I really believed in God before then. I identified with my Jewish cultural heritage, but I didn't, and I, and I didn't learn a lot about spirituality growing up, but like making a baby, like it was... <laughs> Yeah, it was just like ha, there there has to be <laughs> maybe there was just no other explanation I was like there has to be God. Yeah. Um and I think that I've really evolved and learned and you know studied a lot of things since, you know, 31 years ago. I think there's divine in everything and that is God. Like I I I think that's my lesson is just like appreciate the divine in everything. Mm. It doesn't have to be a Buddhist god, or a Jewish god, or a Christian god, or whatever. I think there's, if you can look at the look at any little thing and see the divine in it, it connects you yeah. to God.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Okay, before I ask you the last question, okay.
0: this is the time to recommend anything. So, is there a book, a movie, a TV show, a podcast, a food, all the above, anything mm. you want people to know of, miscellaneous things outside of that category?
1: Um, well, I already recommended divorce is the worst. Yeah. Um, Your books, will link to those. Oh, thanks. That's not what I was going to recommend. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, if you think of anything, okay, you I'll let you know. I mean, I'm so those. I'm. It's hard. Right to now, I'm in well. this like obsession with like American history and slavery. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the that's all I'm reading. <laughs> I'm reading about. I'm reading. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I'm reading... oh uh, Well, I would like to recommend the new documentary called King in the Wilderness oh, about, about Martin Luther King. It's on oh, HBO cool. right now. Okay. It's I'll, actually Gene's it brother's tonight. documentary. Oh, cool. Uh, Peter Coonhart. In the family. <laughs> it's in the family. Um, it's a wonderful documentary about Martin Luther King in the last few years of his life. and.
0: Oh, I saw it on there. I think I yeah, added it to
1: my list. It's wonderful. I was actually talking to Audrey about it this morning because... Um, one of the things about Dr. King that really struck me about this idea of nonviolence is like, particularly in this time that we're in right now, is like, how do we fight the fight with nonviolence? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we not just get so angry and overwhelmed and want to fight, want to fight back? How do we hold on to the self-respect? And I feel like Martin Luther King has incredible lessons. You know, and I, I mean, I grew up. I remember Martin Luther King died but I sort of feel like he, everybody in this new generation should really read Martin Luther King and wa- yeah. learn about Martin Luther King cool. I think he's a prophet yeah I know that's my big recommendation me. Oh, that's
0: great okay so the name of this podcast as you know is let it out so yes. is there anything you wish that I would have asked that you that we didn't get to did I bring you dry for all your
1: wisdom Mm, I feel like it's been such a wonderful conversation. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you didn't ask me? Mm-hmm. No. I can't think of anything that you... I'm good. Because I feel like I got to talk about, you know, motherhood and... Relationships good. and, and we can do it again. <laughs> and I'm happy to do it again. And I got to talk about my obsession with yeah. American history, so good. I think I'm good. Good. <laughs> I think well, I'm thank good. Thank you so it's much just...
0: for everything that you've made and everything that you've given me, just like peripherally in my life. And thank you for making Audrey and the Wing. <laughs> we yeah. didn't even mention
1: that, yeah, but... <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so proud of the Wing. Yeah. I love the Wing. Me, too. thank you for your book. I just, I really, really, I really enjoyed it. And I think you would, I, I think. You should read more about internal family systems to. because I, I think really it totally to. fits with everything that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah,
0: it sounds like it. it. sounds like it's a perfect fit. So I've been ending this podcast. Um, as you know, it's called Let It Out. Yeah. So this is kind of weird, but I feel like you'll be cool with this. Okay. We end with a sigh together. Oh, right? I love that. Okay.
1: Oh, I sigh all the time. Okay, so we'll okay. do
0: it like on the count of three. It okay. feels really nice. Okay. kind of weird, but feels nice. No, I don't nice. think it's weird. Okay, yeah. all right, ready? One, two, three. Okay, that was my episode with Lisa. I hope you loved it as much as I loved recording it. It was a delight getting to go to her house. We spent the afternoon together. She was so sweet, and we even talked about our hair. She has beautiful curly hair. And I, and thank you guys for, if you follow me on Instagram at Katie Dillow, I talked about my hair situation and how I'm trying to not use heat anymore and embrace my natural hair texture which is let me tell you it is jarring (laughs) and Lisa was talking to me before we started recording about how she has curly hair and the salon that she goes to and anyway it was just a delay and I got to see actually this is pretty cool She's, like I mentioned, Audrey Gelman's mom, and so she showed me her color-coded, beautiful bookshelf, and she was like, this is where the idea for the Wing color-coded bookshelf came from. So if you have been to the Wing or seen pictures of the Wing, you know the library is color-coded. They have my book. Or if you follow me on Instagram, because I'm always Instagramming it because I work out of there, it was really cool to see where the impetus of that came from. So hopefully you loved this episode. Share it with a friend. Share it with someone who you think it would be helpful for. Send it their way. And if you like this podcast, share it in general. Subscribe, maybe leave a review on iTunes. It really helps a lot. Subscribing on your phone helps quite a bit. That would be great. And if you want to support it even more, there's Patreon and, of course, supporting the sponsors. So make sure you... Sign up for that giveaway with Branch Basics. The info is at katydalbot.com slash giveaway. Link is in the show notes. And for 15% off your first order of Branch Basics, or maybe it's all your orders. I think it's all your orders. You can use the code LETITOUT at checkout. They are natural cleaning products that I love. And I think you guys will too. Thank you so much for listening. Quick announcement. I'm going to actually be back Friday of this week. With a favorites episode, an episode of all the things I'm grateful for and loving right now, and just catching up with you guys a little bit because there's just a lot to say. And I, you know, feel like I haven't talked to you other than in the interviews in a while. So it will just be me on Friday, and then we will be on a break for a while for three weeks. So tune in Friday. I'll talk to you then, and if not, i will talk to you hopefully in person at one of those events that i'm having in new york city in greenpoint at maha rose and again at the alchemist kitchen in july they are both creative writing journaling workshops and i think they're going to be really fun they'll be different if you want to come to both of them but i know a lot of people travel during the summer so that might not be possible but hopefully i see you at one of them i love you guys so much thank you for listening If you want to share this episode, tweet at me, tweet at Lisa, and the emoji for this episode is the praise hands emoji. I don't know if we've done that one. I don't think we have, and it's definitely one of my most used favorite emojis, so, and it just makes sense. It feels right. It feels right for this episode, so send the praise hands to Lisa. She's Um, at Soho Parenting, I think we'll have the link in the description and I am at Katie Delbot. So let us know that you're still listening all the way to the end and I'll talk to you guys on Friday. you're hearing behind me now and all other original music in this episode is composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs the album art is by artist zoe Harmon, and this podcast is produced and edited by amanda sharp and hosted by me katie delvout check out our website for show notes to everything mentioned